Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown, where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music. Tall tales. True stories. And current goings on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter. And swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to episode 68 of the Brown County Hour. This is Carrie Ray. And Dave Seastrom, along with the rest of the crew. This month, our musical guest is Bigfoot Yancey. We'll share a few tunes from their CD, Hills, and then we'll listen to the conversation we had with them. Vera Grubbs shares an interview with Phil Sims about Purple Martins. We have a conversation with the Beta Teens about their proposed skate park. Dave Seastrom reflects on tourism in Brown County and Jeff Tryon shares his essay on the Brown County Car Wash. We have another For a Song from Carrie Ray. Alan Berkmeyer fills us in on the children's auction, and we'll share our conversation with tree climber Sarah Lytle. We begin the show with an interview we had in our studio with the band members of Bigfoot Yancey. Vera Grubbs will share her interview with Phil Sims about Purple Martins, and we'll listen to Bigfoot Yancey tune, Lonesome Kitchen Blues. Well, it is my distinct pleasure to have with us this evening Bigfoot Yancey, and we have all four members of the band sitting right in front of me. They're about to do a gig tonight here in Nashville, and I'm going to ask them to go around and introduce themselves and tell us what musical instruments they play. I'm Kevin Grove. I play the upright stand-up contra bass double. Forgot that one. You leave anything out on that? No, that's <laughs> I'm Mike Angel. I sing and play rhythm guitar. I'm Jaron Kelly. I play guitar and harmonica. And I'm Lauren Bohall. I play the banjo, the mandolin, and the saw. So I've got to ask this question. Uh, Lauren, Bohall is a famous local name. Are you any kin to the local Bohalls? Y- yeah, I am, but the, the tie kind of split a long time ago. I guess there were two brothers that had like a feud. So I'm farther di- displaced from that whole thing. Yeah. Uh, so do you have any Bohall baskets? I, I don't. My uncle does. <laughs> okay. My uncle actually did collect some, so... Well, I think it's really cool. You, you guys are laughing, but these things are worth a lot of money yeah. now. They're really <laughs> excellent baskets. I mean, I've been keeping an eye on it. Well, I'd he's like not to sharing any of that money so. with us. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, all right. Now, I don't really know, but I'm under the impression you guys are like roommates too. Is that is, he, is that even kind of close to true? Lauren and I live together. Okay. Jaron used to live with us, but he just bought a house recently. He just oh, retired. Yeah. And yeah. Kevin lives right around the corner. Literally. So you'd yeah. like have a compound instead. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of make it sound like a cult when you say that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a... You know, the, the, impre- <laughs> the impression I got from you guys is like, you look like a bunch of country boys to me, but you're like living in Indianapolis. How did that happen? 
I don't know. We Urban were just cowboys. born in the wrong place, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Is that it? Well, how do we come together? Probably the biggest hillbilly we all know brought us together. Jason yeah, Bully. true. My brother-in-law now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, he introduced yeah, us through all. Through your recently. marriage or his? Through, he married my sister. Ah. They were old, really good old friends, so it's awesome. But, yeah. Um, I actually married them. I got ordained and married them mm-hmm. last year. But That was great. Okay, so <laughs> uh, forgive me for asking, but how do you get ordained? Well, uh, you just pay $35 online. Yeah. I, Accept all the terms yeah, and yeah, get the yeah. newsletter and all uh-huh. that, you know? Well, I, I remember a similar kind of deal back in the day, uh, the Universal Life Church that, uh, as I recall, it really didn't uh, exempt me from the draft. So, <laughs> I was hopeful, but it didn't work out that way. So, Bigfoot Yancey. I mean, so is this like a Yeti reference? It's actually not. Uh, a lot of people think we're talking about the mythical creature, but I used to spend a lot of time on the road, and especially in South Texas, down I-35 corridor, almost to Laredo. I, I pretty much lived in Laredo in my van off and on for two years as an expediter with my dog. And I would pass this town just south of San Antonio a few times a week on my drive. This point on the interstate that has a road sign that says Bigfoot Yancey. I would see that every day, and I called these guys one day, three and a half years ago, and said, we're going to start a band soon, and it's going to be called Bigfoot Yancey. It happened. I specifically remember thinking no one's going to understand what that's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And they still don't. Really. <laughs> well, look, we all know... Well, we are avid fans of Sasquatch. Yeah, for the record, we, <laughs> yeah. we believe. We yeah, believe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you guys have... You have you've, you had an EP, and now you've recorded a full CD. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yep. And uh, it's called Hills? It's called Hills, yeah. Yeah, what's that about? Well, we uh, we used to spend a lot of time... Jaron and Lauren and I spent a lot of time together playing at bonfires down here. And my family's actually from Brown County as well. Okay. The Ford family. They're one of the older families here. But we've always had an affinity for the, the hills, the countryside. It's kind of chaotic up in the city, you know. So we come down here and, and have parties in the woods and play music together. And a lot of the songs we developed were originally around the campfire down here, Yellowwood Forest. So we got that kind of smoky flavor to them then. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, let's talk about uh, your musical influences. What, what kind of music did you guys listen to? Uh, growing up, and how did that bring you to where you're at now? Okay. Um, I think that we all actually have a pretty diverse yeah. music background for the most part. I, I grew up in a really musical family. My parents play more traditional, kind of old-time and um, kind of Celtic music. Okay. So they used to, and I used to come to Nashville a lot, and they would play in this, they'd busk on, in the spring and stuff. And so I was given an instrument pretty early on to start playing Um and uh, I think that one of the things that kind of tied us together, at least the three of us, was we were all we we're all really big John Prine fans. I see that. And so I think that was kind of um, our real tie, you know, for the most part was all that we all really enjoyed that. So, but, I actually yeah. didn't even really know about John Prine until I started playing with these guys. Yeah, I, I heard some things and yeah. Well, I'm well, sorry I didn't like, to speak for you. It was like 2007. <laughs> that was a long time ago. We started playing together and. Yeah, I actually met them because they played an EP release show or something. Our EP mm-hmm. release show was outside up in Fountain Square. And I was I was remodeling my house up there, and we took a break and went out on the square, and we had a few drinks, me and my friend, and uh, I just, I was like, these guys sound good, but they don't have a bass player. <laughs> so I just stumbled up to them and said, you guys could actually sound good if you just had it. <laughs> well, uh, let's see here. The blue collar sound, I love that. What is the blue collar sound? 
The blue collar sound. Who wrote that? Did you write that? It's on we, the description. We tried to genreize what the music was really early on, and Mike had come up with this bohemian blue collar, was what he called it. It's yeah. like, we're kind of lazy and we don't lounge around, but we still work. <laughs> Somebody's got to make the money. <laughs> right. We're lazy, but we work. We put a lot of effort into our music, you know. Disbanded. So you, you guys do this original music. Mm-hmm. Who's the who's the writers? I write yeah. primarily. Okay. I wrote all these songs, like concepts for them a long time ago, and we've kind of developed them. I feel like living in a van is probably a pretty good spot to write a bunch of songs. Yeah, a lot of these I wrote <laughs> in the van on the desert, and I would play at open mics out there. And then when I brought them to these guys, we just kind of made them whole. So there is a collaboration aspect to the whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just have my parts, and then they add theirs to them. Mm-hmm. Just works, you know. Coagulates. So where to? <laughs> so where to from here for you guys? I mean, uh, you know, you got a great sound. What's your hopes and dreams? Well, not too big, I guess, just to be the biggest band in the world, yeah. <laughs> or at least big in Japan. Yeah, there you go. We, there we you cannot go. stop talking about touring Japan. I yeah. Mean, I'm, if anybody I'm knows how to do that, happen, so I think we're going we to try to tour Japan next year. Well, <laughs> I know you guys have a connect with Rev Payton, and you know Rev is a local favorite here, and mm-hmm. uh, someone who's been in our studio. I think he's been to Japan a couple of times. I yeah, I feel like he did a European tour pretty recently, didn't he? Well, Japan. I mean, Japan's not in Europe. I think, <laughs> <but I'm> just, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think we would do all right over there. Do you guys have a website, a Facebook page? We have a Facebook page. You just look us up, Bigfoot Yancey. BigfootYancey.com. You can find our music on Spotify. Mm. What else do we have? iTunes, Google Play. Look at recent photos of us on Instagram. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I assume we can purchase your CD uh, on your website or your Facebook page. I think so. Maybe digitally? Pretty sure. (laughs) We also have vinyl (laughs) records for the hills as well. I saw that. Just vinyl. And... uh, We'll also be going to uh, record our new album in January next year. Well, looking forward to that. Is there anything you would like to add to the discussion? Just we have that big show at the Vogue on Black Friday with Reverend Payton. Mm-hmm. Now, what date is that? Uh, November 24th. November 24th. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming in. This is really excellent. We're looking forward to hearing your music. Thank you. Vera Grubbs with the Brown County Hour and WFHB. I have the privilege today to talk to Mr. Phil Sims, and he has a very special, special hobby. For many years, I've been driving on 46, and there's a section near Nabone where Mr. Sims lives, and he has a large colony of Purple Martins. I am so intrigued by this that I had to stop and chat with him about it. Would you tell us how you came to this passion of yours? It started, uh, I guess, when I was a kid. My grandfather on my dad's side, they had Purple Martins on the farm. My dad had some Purple Martins in Greenwood. He set out a box and he got Martins in Greenwood. So I've been around the Martins a long time. When we moved down here, my dad said, son, we ought to get some, some Martins down here. and. I did some checking and, and then I had a computer and that w- that really helped because I got on the computer and went to purplemartin.org 
everything you want to know or need, they have it. I see. And so I started with them, and I've got these kind of like plastic, but it's it's a lot thicker, and they're gourds. Oh, you're talking about the actual houses? Yes, the houses. And how many do you have now? I have 48 gourds on four racks, and I have 45 pair. Oh, this year you have 45 pair? Yes, I'm, I was only three three light of having a full house. Oh, <laughs> oh wonderful. You must be thrilled. I, I love it. I, I start thinking about these birds as soon as they start leaving because it, it, it's almost time for them to start going back south. Yeah, they're congregating yeah, and teaching the young what to do. Yeah, and then they, they take the, the parents will take the young to different colonies. Really? And you can usually tell because the I'll have new birds come in from other colonies here oh. and they kind of check out the gourds and do all that stuff but the parents take them to different places because of the inbreeding oh right this is done instinctively yes by the yes yeah. yeah the birds take them to other colonies and and show you know they just intermix with different colonies and then when they go south then when they come back uh, you might get 10 percent of your babies uh-huh and that's and that'd be a lot uh, that's Oh wow! To me, I don't think I don't think you really get that many of your babies back. Mm. Well, I know the purple martin is special. Would you tell us what makes them so special? First of all, they're a beautiful bird, and they glide, and they're gliding all the time. They have a great sound. To me, it's a song, mm -hmm. and it's and it's just a beautiful song. You usually don't have too many mosquitoes around your house if you have purple martin. <laughs> but don't Flying they? insects, yes, they, they eat them, and they eat a lot of them. I know they go after honeybees, too, if they're in the area. Not the purple martin. No? No, the purple martin, that's really? one. Yeah, they won't eat the honeybees. Well, my husband would be happy to hear that. Yeah, uh, and the only reason I know that is because my grandfather raised honey. He had uh -huh. hives, a bunch of them. Anyway, they sold honey. He had his martins right there. He never had it, that problem. So what is your routine for uh, handling the 40-odd birdhouses on the four different poles. At the end of the season, I lower all the gourds, and I take the gourds off, and I clean out the nest, and clean them up real good, and then I just put them in the garage. They set all winter, and then in the spring, I start back by putting red cedar chips and some pine needles in the bottom, just to have a little bit of a, a, a nest started, or a better floor than the plastic. Then I put them back out and hang them up in uh, early March. Pretty soon, I'll look out there and I'll have a martin sitting out there, <laughs> and then I know that it's it's gonna start all over again, and, and that's the happy days. Yeah. When you see the first one in, in, in the spring, that's... That They're known helps. as a scout. Yes. I can remember a February, some time ago, and there were maybe February 28th or something, and I saw scouts that early. What times have you seen them? My, the earliest one, I've, I've seen them in late February, but they, they, it was farther south. Now, in about the second, third, fourth March, then I'm starting to look. Mm -hmm. But about the middle of March is when my birds, most of my birds are here by the middle of March, except for last year's babies. And then they they come in late. They're called the second year birds. Oh, I see. And and they start coming in later. The the older birds are here, uh, probably a good maybe six weeks before the young birds start coming. Now, our birds around this area go to San Paulo, Brazil, South America. They, it's hard to realize how far these birds fly. Mm -hmm. Yes. The birds are pretty important to me. They've yeah. they've been a part of my life for 
for a long, long time, uh, even when I, you know, when I was little, so. So this organization you belong to, what is the name again? Purple Martin Association. Get to it on purplemartin.org. You, if you ever have the birds, you would love it in the spring and in, in the summer because they're always chirping. And they have a beautiful song. It's pretty neat just to watch them. Acrobatic flyer. I think that's part of the intrigue with them, too, is yeah. just the way they fly. Well, thank you, Mr. Sims. I've really enjoyed our little talk today. Well, I'm glad to talk to you about it. We pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Powered Community Radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. We begin this segment with a conversation we had with the Beta teams about their proposed skate park. We have a Jeff Tryon essay called Brown County Car Wash. Carrie Ray brings us another Forest Song. 
Alan Burkmeyer shares some information about the children's auction, and we'll close with the Bigfoot Yancey tune, Blue Clouds. The third annual Abe Martin Bazaar will be held Saturday, November 11th at the Brown County History Center on East School, north of the courthouse, from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. The bazaar will feature local Brown County arts and crafters offering a variety of items for sale. Well, we have a whole group of beta people in here, and uh, I'm just going to let everybody introduce themselves, and we've got a couple of different topics that we're going to hit on what beta does and what beta means and all of those things, and we're also going to talk about the skateboard park. Who would like to begin? Christy? I'm on the board of the Beta Teen Center, and Beta stands for Brown County Enrichment for Teens Association, um, which is kind of a stretch of an acronym. It is, but it is. I, we have a, I wouldn't say a room full of teens, but we, we do have a good smattering of them. Yes, we do. So what does your group do? How, when do you meet? We provide after-school programming on Tuesdays, traditionally, for since... What year did we start? 2011. 2011. So on Tuesday afternoons after school until 6.30, teenagers can come to the Beta Teen Center. They can play video games. Um, eating seems to be, um, yeah. right, yeah. one of the most popular activities <laughs> that we offer. There's always plenty of food. And video games and art supplies and musical instruments. And they really can just come and be themselves and socialize and have community. Where do these meetings take place? They take place at our teen center, which is up above Fallen Leaf Books. Okay. Yeah. Let's hear from a couple of the teenagers. Uh, they were kind of talky before the mics went on. <laughs> so um, I'm Eli. I'm the beta board teen representative, which just basically means I'm, I tell the adults what the kids want. Oh, so you're like the translator. Yeah, basically. <laughs> okay. That's good, because that needs to happen. I mean, yeah. you know, because adults don't right. understand yeah, teenagers. He speaks adult and teen. Yeah, right. I'm well, even bilingual. Though, now, I know this is a stretch, but all of us older people, we used to be teenagers. So we've got that going for us, you know. I think that's just a myth. Okay, all right. <laughs> I accept that. I, mean, I accept that. Hi, my name is Isaiah Smith, and I am leading Kids on Wheels, which is a group of teens that are working together in order to put together a skate park, and they're working under Beta as a group um, of teens trying to get so a place. So you're partnering up with Beta to create this skate right, park. Right, right. We're applying for everything under Beta's title. Because they have more credibility than just saying, hey, I'm a, a skateboarder or something. And nonprofit status. Ah, right. there you go. Right. The town has, um, uh, for a long time now, there's been an outlaw in skateboarding. There's an exception of like one little street that they allow. Once the school put the ban on skateboarding, that was a big deal because I know a lot of people went to the school. That was one of the main places that they went to. You're talking about the parking lot. Right. Yeah. And it does seem unfair. I mean, this is, after all, your town. And where do you go? Well, you know, they ban you from everywhere. Right. Uh, the shopkeepers run you out. It's... Yes. Uh, I think it's an excellent idea to have a park or something that's dedicated for you all to be able to enjoy yourselves. I mean, after all, this is your home. Uh, and I fully understand that um, people are worried about liability, but at the same time, it's 
some of these kids' passions, skateboarding and rollerblading, BMX biking, scootering, these are things that these kids love to do and they would like to do them every day. And so when there's nowhere in their town for them to do it, it's re it can be really hard. I know that I struggled with that as a kid growing up. So what I'm trying to do now is provide that space, a place to get them off the streets and have a, a safe place to do that. Well, I think that's an excellent idea. Thank you. Uh, even though it's been a while, I certainly remember that when I was a teenager, all I really wanted to do was hang out with my friends. Right. Yeah. And, and <laughs> you know, if you have... in a rural community. It is there's, tough. There's I really mean, if you live scattered out the way we are here mm -hmm. in Brown County and you ride a school bus for an hour to get to town, I mean, right. it's such an excellent idea to have something in town for kids to do. And... Um, and I completely agree that if, if you've got something that is constructive, that they can put their energy to, um, it's going to prevent a lot of shenanigans and mm -hmm. bad choices. And you also have the reinforcement of other kids saying, hey. That's right. You know. Policing each other, basically. Exactly. Yeah, don't be a jerk, right? Right. right. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I needed that all the time. <laughs> And we're looking at doing a larger plan, a uh, larger scope, where we will have other elements so that a lot of teenagers want to participate here. The reason we've chosen the skate park as the first element is because of all the frustration we hear from the kids. Um, there's a large group of them that are, are just really frustrated with the fact that they can't practice a sport that they love. And school sports aren't for every child. Right. Well, and it's not like you're going to go home and practice your skate techniques on a gravel road right <laughs> you, you really do need the proper facility for yes. that and unfortunately most of our roads aren't wide enough for them to be on the road so the places they're allowed to skate now are it's actually really dangerous for these kids where are you in the project are you yeah. collecting money is there a way people can donate mm -hmm. to it we've done a lot of work to get the idea of the park across to people it's really hard to get um, donations when it's just it just sounds like a bunch of kids want something but it really right now is it's in a place where it's really structured and once we get a property it can be built with some funding we've got a design and we have people working on renderings for that as well as it's been contracted and priced and then on top of that we have a builder hunger skate parks is going to do the building and then uh, we got a grant awarded to us from the brown county community the good foundation. people at the brown county community oh, yes. foundation great people um, they've awarded us a ten thousand dollar matching uh, grant which uh, we have been working on getting donations for so that means if, if that we can only collect the ten thousand dollars if we raise an additional ten thousand dollars from, get us, from the community will meet us. so where do we go if we want to give you money how do we do that you can send it to the brown county community foundation with kids on wheels in the memo of your check okay um, we have a facebook page kids on wheels nashville, nashville indiana, indiana, indiana all right. and beta teen center Beta Teen Center, excellent. You know, thank you so much for coming in. I really hope you pulled this off. I think it's an excellent idea. Thank you. This is My Brown County with Jeff Tryon. The more I thought about what really makes Brown County Brown County, the more I began to realize how we each have our own particular Brown County. In a way, Brown County is what we each bring to it, what we find there for our own what we each make of it. No one else sees it probably in the same exact way that I do. That's what makes it my Brown County. I see where they're building a new car wash in town and it reminded me of some episodes from my youth that make me 
Think of the real Brown County. When I was little, many of the roads in Brown County crossed creeks by means of fording, such as it is today on Yellowwood Road or Jackson Creek Road. There was no bridge, you just drove through the creek. And sometimes, of course, if the creek was up too high, the road was just impassable, and that was that. Life in Brown County. And there was a little creek that crossed Hurdle Road up near Fruitdale, where I grew up, where there was a ford you had to drive through. And my dad would sometimes take us down to the ford, and we would stop the car right in the middle of the creek crossing. There wasn't much traffic back then. And take out a bucket and some rags and wash the car right in the creek. Nobody was thinking too much about pollution then, except maybe Rachel Carson and Adolph Leopold. We would wet the old Chevy down and soap her up and then rinse her off, letting everything run merrily downstream. We didn't think anything of it. We thought, that's just how everybody washed their car, I guess. We'd never been to a real car wash. Sometime back in the 80s, a friend of mine had a workshop near Nashville, and it was kind of on a hill, and there was a small pond down behind it. And his brother had parked on the hill part of the driveway, and I guess his parking brake let loose, and the truck rolled backwards all the way down into the pond. And everybody came running out of the shop, and his brother ran and got the camera and snapped a photo of the truck floating in the pond. And for years, that hung on his bulletin board with the little title, Brown County Car Wash. Reluctantly, with another installment of Forest Song. What? Reluctantly? That's right. Truth be told, I'm not really in the mood. To think about the creative process, to come up with something clever to write about, to do much of anything, actually. I've been making the sort of big life decisions that lead to big life changes. And it's been a little rough of late. A little transition-y. It's taking a lot of energy right now to manage. Energy to figure things out, to find ways to collaborate in less-than-collaborative scenarios. To get things done, to keep moving ahead. And did I mention that I feel like I might be coming down with something? I've been on a sort of emergency immune booster bender. 
downing shots every few hours. First raspberry, then orange, so as not to become bored. Hmm. I wonder if you could put vodka in the orange and make an immune-boosting screwdriver. Remind me to try that. I mean, it's not just that I don't want to get sick, because a few days under a quilt on the couch actually sounds nice. But I have two shows on the road this weekend and really just don't have the time. So yeah, I'm a little worn down, a little emotional, a little raw. And today, the past couple of months actually, writing and recording for a song is honestly one of the last things I feel like I have the bandwidth to do. So, now you know. The truth in its raw state. Not particularly pretty, not exactly comfortable or comforting, but, for my purpose, decidedly and necessarily revealing. While this is my truth today, I didn't share it because I have no good private outlets to vent. No places or people where I feel safe enough to let it all hang out. No, I did it to demonstrate what I believe to be part of the calling of creative souls of all sorts. To live as wide open as they can to show the joy, the fear, the pain, to drop the pretense and say what they would say if they weren't worried about what people would think of what they had to say. To be clear, I'm not referring to things you might think of or have to say about other people, not about your opinions. I'm talking about speaking for and from yourself, about your human experience, and trusting that maybe, just maybe, Living like that will inspire even one other soul to do the same. I'm Carrie Ray, encouraging you to let your freak flag fly and hoping you'll join me next time on For a Song. If you have ideas, questions, or topics you would like to have covered on For a Song, please send them along. You can reach me via the contact page of my website, carryray.com. That's C A R I. R-A-Y dot com. Thanks for listening. Well, this is the 40th annual Brown County Children's Auction. It's been going on for years and years. Uh, once again, it's always held on the first Friday of December at 6 p.m. at the Out of the Ordinary. And every year we take all the money we raise and 100% of it goes to buy kids' clothes here in Brown County so that every kid can go and get a new set of clothes for school coming back from uh, winter break. So that's always been the idea, and we're just continuing that. You know, we've had a lot of success. We sat down and did did the math the other day, and over the last 40 years, we've raised like $600,000. We generally raise around $15,000, and it's all donations. People come in, and we have the live auction. And it's a lot of fun, and uh, it's great. Goes for a great cause, and all the money stays here in the county. You can find us on Facebook, uh, Brown County Children's Auction. I think it's 40th annual Brown County Children's Auction this this year. So you can find us there. From there, you can get to our website, which we're going to start updating here pretty soon with the list of auction items. Our Facebook page also has whenever someone donates something, that gets thrown up on on the page as well. And you donate by you can take anything to PNC Bank or out of the ordinary, or drop us a line on Facebook and we'll come out and get it. So, I mean, it's very easy to donate. We're always looking for donations, cool stuff. We get everything from art to, right now we have FFA just donated a huge weekend overnight stay for 25 people at their cabin up around up north. And then we just got Otter Creek Golf Course, gave us $350 value package of golf. We get 
you know, artists in the community will every year we get original art. It's all across the board and it's all really neat. Every year, you know, we are always going to get something new and cool and Brown County local and it's, it's always a lot of fun. Donations start rolling in usually early November. Bring them on down. We're looking for as much stuff as possible. The 40th annual Brown County Children's Auction, December 1st, 6 p.m. at Out of the Ordinary.
now we pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Powered Community Radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 in Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. In our final segment, we begin with Sarah Lytle. She's a tree climber, and she'll tell us all about it. Dave Seastrom shares his perspective about tourism in Brown County. And we'll close with the Bigfoot Yancey tune, Brown County. It's our pleasure to have Sarah Lytle in our studio this evening, and she is a tree climber. And there's just something absolutely wonderful about that. Hi, Sarah. Nice to meet you. Hello, Dave. It's nice to meet you. So tell us about this. I mean, is this a profession? Is this a vocation? Is this a recreational activity? Or A yes to all of the above. Okay. <laughs> it started out recreational, and um, in uh, 2007, I became a basic tree climber. In 2011, a facilitator. Bought some equipment, high-risk insurance, felt like I had enough time on rope, enough hours that I could start taking other people up with me. So there's a school that you go to? There are different places for training. I went to um, Blue Ridge Tree Climbing um, in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia with Bob Ray for my basics course. The facilitation course was with Earth Joy in California, Kentucky. That's a really a place. It's across wow. the river from Cincinnati. And you can go out west. There are places in, in Colorado, Georgia. Just Google, you know, recreational tree climbing and you'll, you'll learn more. Um, there are organizations that are global, um, Tree Climbing International and um, Global Organization of Tree Climbing. And rec climbers, um, professional arborists that do it, you know, as a sport. Some of the businesses actually train scientists and botanists to go into tall trees in the rainforest and out west to mm. gather specimens. Somebody to has study to study the them. canopy. Correct. Uh-huh. There's a canopy and the life that's in there. Well, okay. So the method that you use, you've already mentioned that you use equipment. Mm-hmm. So you fire an arrow up into the tree, uh, a rope trails along behind. That's really like close. That? Yeah. Some people use an arrow. I use a thing called a, a slingshot. It's a slingshot, a okay. telescopic slingshot. And there is a weighted bag, a throw bag. Tie some cord onto it and load it, get down on one knee, pull the thing back with one hand and kapow, let gall and it flies hopefully over the limb you're shooting for and not over too many others. And in this aspect, when you're feeding the line through different limbs and trees, it's a little like fishing. If you've ever cast a line, you know, through some trees or over a log and you're trying to bring it back without it hooking and catching. So there's a bit of skill and art to that. But, but once you have landed the limb that you're wanting to climb, the throw bag will bring, the weighted bag brings it to the ground. Then you tie your rope on and just hand over hand pull the rope over the limb. Now, okay. a lot of climbers use gear. You can buy mechanical ascenders and descenders. I don't like to use them yet because I have the physical capability, you know, to work old school just using knots. 
Also, the more clanging and banging of equipment in the woods, the more disruption there is. And my reason for being in the trees is the peace and the quiet and communing with, you know, the nature. I don't want to disrupt too much of what I'm doing out there and the environment that I'm working with. So essentially, you're clean climbing. You're not using tree spikes or anything like that. Oh, that is a, no, absolutely not. Okay. It's safety of the person first, safety of the tree second. Okay. So there are no spikes, no grappling hooks. It's a living organism you're climbing. It's been on the planet a long time. It deserves some respect and reverence. We also ask permission. That's the very first thing of climbing. You pick out the tree you want to climb. You check the safety and health of it. And then you ask. Sometimes it won't let you in. Right. You know, even an experienced climber, you can shoot, you can throw, you can shoot, you can throw, you get tangled. Um, it, it just, it isn't going to happen. So you pick a different tree, you know, <laughs> or you decide to take a walk instead. I'm interested in finding out how you came personally to this activity. Ah. I always loved climbing as a kid, and, and that's a whole different story, but I actually was climbing trees as I was learning to walk. My mom used to put us underneath a sumac, a staghorn sumac. There's a big blanket at a friend's house, and the story goes, Donnie and I were, you know, play with our toys and stuff, and while well, the women were snapping beans, and they could see us from the kitchen window and looked out one day, and where are the kids? They're gone, and ran outside, and we were in the tree. We had literally stood up and just, you know, grabbed branches, and so we were climbing as we were learning to walk, and when I became six for my birthday, I asked for my own sumac tree and I didn't get it and I cried (laughs) (laughs) I was teased because girls are supposed to want baby dolls and so when I was seven they brought me a sumac tree so my my love and relationship of trees goes way back and and they've been my best teachers so growing up as a child in southern Indiana um, in the Ohio River Valley I, I was was raised in Lawrenceburg Um, with Tanner's Creek behind our house and a a wooded area for our playground. I would climb trees when I was happy and it's a beautiful day, but I was especially climb trees when I was really upset and angry. I'd run down the woods and I would just jump and grab what limb I could and start climbing. And the higher you climb, I felt like, you know, the closer I was to heaven, you know, it's like my prayers could be heard way up there in the treetop. That takes me to your question, and that is when I went through a divorce after 20-some years of marriage, and I thought, there isn't a tree big enough to help with this problem. And I wasn't climbing then. I was in a, you become a mother and you change. You know, I'm in a tree thinking if I fall and I break my arm, who's going to change the diapers and fix dinner? So your activity levels shift. But after I'd gone through a divorce, um, I was in a training program in Virginia um, learning to uh, be certified in yoga for the special child. And I was flying back in the airplane, opened a U.S. Airway magazine, and there's a picture of my friend and trainer, Bob Ray. And he's wearing a helmet. He's got a big cheesy grin. He's got ropes and carabiners, and he's talking about the magic in the treetops. And I said, I know that magic. I can do this. And so I ripped the page out because I didn't want the whole magazine. Just, and tucked it in my backpack, called him up and said, you know, I want to climb. I want to learn to climb with you. 
and that's how I got started. I had no idea there was recreational tree climbing. I didn't know I could, you know, safely get up into the canopy again, but now I can. Well, you were a, a rank amateur as a toddler, and, and now you're a trained uh, person who That's knows right. how to do it. That's uh, right. So, so my my ex- we've all you know. I'm sure most of you in this in this radio station have climbed trees. Oh, absolutely. You know, as kids, the apple tree at grandma's. Oh yeah, and hand over hand, you know, just the strength of that, and and being able to just getting, you know, 15, 20 feet off the ground is amazing. A different perspective. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming in and sharing this unique story. It's, it's actually inspirational. You've got me even thinking about climbing trees again, and it's been a while. Well, that's very cool. So I can take, you know, kids from seven. My um, insurance starts at age seven and up, and, and that's the sky's the limit there. I, I do have a Facebook page. Um, you can check me under my name, Sarah Lytle, spelled with uh, an H on the end of Sarah, and L-Y-T-T-L-E. My company is called LimLinks, as in linking limbs together. Okay. You know, the, our limbs and tree limbs. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Yeah, yeah thanks for thank coming you. In. As I write this, we are in the peak of the fall colors. This year hasn't been as colorful as some in the past, and this has to do with the prolonged drought we had during the late summer and early fall. Even so, it's absolutely beautiful right now. The temperatures are cooling off, and there's no question that fall has arrived. This is also the peak of tourist season in Brown County. The roads in Nashville are beyond crazy, and driving from one side of our little town to the other is sheer madness. People are everywhere, and there's no place to park. On the weekends, traffic is backed up for miles. When there's also a home game at IU, it's bumper to bumper moving at 20 miles an hour all the way from Bloomington to Columbus. In response to these conditions, those of us who live here have developed several survival strategies to overcome the onslaught from the leaf lookers. Don't go out to eat in Nashville. Our local restaurants have plenty of business right now. They will need our patronage after all of these folks go home, so that's when it's safe to grab a bite to eat in town. Besides, who in Brown County is used to waiting in line? I mean, isn't that one of the perks of living here? Remember that something weird happens to people when they become a tourist. Amongst other things, defying all common sense, they'll unexpectedly step out in traffic right in front of you. This is curious because we assume that folks who come to visit us are from big cities, And we all know that if you're in a city and step out in front of a moving car, you're going to get flattened. There are a few theories as to why this is. It's been suggested that looking up at the leaves means that you're not paying attention to where you're going. Stumbling down the street with your nose in the air isn't a good path to survival. Maybe we should have crosswalk markers in the trees during the month of October. It might save some lives. Then there's the sense of entitlement that some tourists project. In other words, they're here to have a good time and spend some money, so us natives best not get in their way. I've actually had tourists sneer at me when I've come to a screeching halt to avoid hitting them with my truck. The look on their faces said, How dare you? Well, how dare you? We live here. How about a little courtesy? Another thought that's occurred to me is the possibility that they're smoking the colorful leaves or sprinkling them all over their foot-long hot dogs. 
I've never done this myself, of course, but I imagine there's a fair amount of impairment that comes with this practice. Honestly, there are times when the entire tourist population seems to have been smoking something. They're wandering from place to place, standing in long lines, and constantly eating. I mean, what else would you think? Put off any official business that requires you to go to Nashville until after tourist season. We all have to pay our property taxes in November, but you can send them through the mail. Likewise, if your driver's license expires in October, it's probably best if you use the Postal Service, just to avoid the insanity. Don't go to Brown County State Park. Sure, it's beautiful right now, but honestly, how much fun can you have standing elbow to elbow with thousands of gawking out-of-towners? We know there are plenty of great views that the tourists never see, and those are the ones we should be looking at. Let them have the park for now. It'll still be there when they go home. Know the back roads. It's interesting to me that the thousands and thousands of tourists who come to visit never leave the main roads. Perhaps they've heard the stories about deviant hill people sitting on their porches playing banjo, just waiting for some hapless visitor to get lost so they can have their way with them. The ability to get around on the back roads is invaluable, and I think we should promote this idea. If you do have to go to town, there are a couple of things you can do to keep them at bay. Wear camo, talk real loud using your best Brown County accent, and as a last resort, chew tobacco and spit it at anyone who gets out of line. If all else fails, blacken a couple of your teeth and carry a live chicken through town, and be sure to avoid bathing for a few days. And finally, remember to be nice to the tourists. This may sound counterintuitive, but this is where the bread and butter that financially supports our community comes from, and it's bad form to bite the hand that feeds you. Tourist season doesn't last forever, and we're all glad for that. And before you know it, they'll all go back home, and we'll have our county to ourselves. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time.
Thanks for tuning in to episode 68 of the Brown County Hour, recorded on our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville, and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. The Brown County Hour is brought to you by a diverse group of folks who believe, now more than ever, the world is for everyone. This show was produced by Chuck Wills, Pam Raider, Rick Fettig, Vera Grubbs, Carrie Ray, and Dave Seastrom. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music. You have been listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County home.